Welcome. All right, turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 12. As Tim said, we're on week three of a six-week series that's going to go through all the scriptures. We've done three chapters so far. So as you can imagine, we've got to start accelerating. So we're, we're, we're going to work our way through some bigger sections. In fact, each week, we're kind of going to get bigger and bigger. But today, we're going to talk about Abraham and the family of Abraham, because they're very, very significant in this history of redemption, where I told you that the, the Bible has an arc a story arc, and we're looking at that whole first part of the story up to Easter. Easter's the climax. It's the solution to the problem that we saw last week. We had the setup, the introduction two weeks ago, and the problem last week. And to get from uh, Adam to, Je- to Abraham, unfortunately, there's not a lot of good that happens there. If you know the story, Adam and Eve have two children, Cain and Abel, and Cain kills Abel. And it doesn't get any better from there. Murder and destruction. We go thousands of years to Noah when God says, okay, we're going we're gonna to reset. We're going to retry this. And, and floods the planet, gets rid of everyone except for this one family. Noah comes out of the ark and God says, similar to what he said to Adam and Eve, this, I'm giving you this land, be fruitful, be multiply. And then it goes downhill again. And again, we, we run on until we get now to, uh, to chapter 12 of Genesis. So we are going to read some parts of scripture and then talk about them. And we're kind of rather than like try and read the whole thing, we're going to read and talk and read and talk and read and talk. So read just the first few verses of Genesis chapter 12 with me. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. Uh, this is what's called the sevenfold blessing because God says seven different things. And, and if you know anything about the Old Testament, seven's an important number. Five of them are things God will do. I will do this. And two of them are things that are going to happen. You will be a blessing and other people will be blessed through you. Now, hang on to that pattern where God says, I'm going to do this and then you will receive this. Notice that Abraham isn't doing anything in this. It's not, a, it's not a contract. It's not, Abraham, I'll do this if you do that. God simply shows up. We're at about 2000 BC. Uh, if it's of all interest to you, Abraham's really the first person in scripture that we can actually date. Like he comes from the city Ur of the Chaldeans. It's the kingdom of the, of the Sumerians. We know where Ur is. You can go visit the archeological digs. He moves to Haran, which is in uh, the south, which way is that for me? The south uh, east corner of Turkey. And you can visit the digs there. We've found the city. We, he's the first person in scripture we can like really date. He's around 2000 BC. And God comes to him and just says these things. And he does it. He moves from Haran and Turkey. He comes all the way down into what is modern day Israel. God tells him to go. And, and Canaan is the sticks. I mean, it is the middle of nowhere. It's not like God's telling go, you know, this is go out into the middle of nowhere. And he does it. He obeys. And like, wow. And if you keep reading the story, he keeps right on going. God tells him to go to Canaan, and he does. He comes all the way down, and then he keeps going and goes down into Egypt because there's famine. God has said, I will take care of you. I'll provide for you. I'll bless you. And then at least according to the, the story that we have, when 
there's a famine. Abraham doesn't talk to God, doesn't consult him. He just like, well, okay, I've got to move. And he moves on down in Egypt, and it's a disaster. It is a complete disaster. And God moves him back into Israel where he's supposed to be, where God told him to go. Now skip over to chapter 15. We're going to pick up the next time God speaks to Abraham. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield and your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, You've given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took Abram outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abram said, sovereign Lord, how can I know that I'll gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, bring me a heifer, a goat and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abraham brought all these to him. He cut them in two and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abram fell in a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterwards they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age." In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking firepot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, to your descendants I give this land, from the wadi of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates, the land of the, Ken- of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Catamonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Raphaites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. So we've jumped forward. We don't know how much time has passed. We don't know if it's a month or a year or or a bunch of years. And God shows up, and again, he repeats a blessing to Abram. I am your shield. I am your great reward. He repeats, he has a different command. The old command was move to Canaan. This command is don't be afraid. You've heard me say that, the most common command in Scripture God gives to people. I mean by far. Number two is not even close. What God says almost all the time to people, is don't be afraid. And he says it to Abram because Abram is afraid. Abram is afraid that all that he's done, all, I mean, he's followed God, he's moved, he's gone to this other country, he, he's left his family, his home, his own inheritance. He's afraid that all that is for naught because he doesn't have kids. And who's he gonna give all this to? This guy lives in 2000 BC. I don't know about you, I've had that fear. Does my life matter? Does any, if I leave, will any of this survive? He is worried. And God comes to him and says, listen, listen carefully. You will absolutely have a son. You will absolutely leave everything you have to your son. And he takes him out of his tent and he says, look at the sky. And wow, if you've ever camped somewhere or been somewhere where there's no light pollution, 2000 BC, right? There's not a lot of street lights out there. There is no light pollution. And you look up at the sky and it is just filled with stars. And God says, okay, count them because you're going to have more descendants than that. And Abraham, we're told in verse six, believed the Lord and he credited it to Abram 
as righteousness. Abram, by the way, is Abraham. We'll see. His name will get changed later. Abram believes God. This verse will be so significant later in history. Like the New Testament writers will pick up on this. Paul will say to people who think, oh, I have to obey the law of Moses to be saved. So what about Abram? Abram lived 600 years before the law of Moses. He wasn't saved by obeying a law that didn't exist. He believed God. God has always been looking for people who believe him, that he will say things and people will say, well, okay, if you said it, then it must be true. Like that's true in 2000 BC. It's true a thousand years later with King David. It's true a thousand years later with Jesus. It's true 2000 years after that with us. God is looking for people who believe him. Now, what happens next is super significant in the Bible, but it's one of those things where we don't live in their world and it makes no sense to us. So I've told some of you this story before. When we were in Belgium learning French, one day my wife wrote me a shopping list and on the shopping list, she wrote fromage tranché. Fromage is cheese, tranché is sliced. She was telling me, get some cheese for sandwiches. Right, get some pieces of sliced cheese for sandwiches. Only I didn't know what the word tranché meant in French. So I assumed it was a kind of cheese. Right? Like there's white cheese, there's American cheese, there's blue cheese, there's Emmental, there's Swiss cheese. I assumed there was a cheese called tranché because I didn't know what the word meant. So I went into the cheese section, you know, which in a French grocery store is expansive. I'm looking and I can't find a cheese labeled tranché. So I asked the nice lady, I'm like, excuse me, um, you know, I, I, I need to get, I need to get a, you know, 500 grams of sliced cheese. And she said, of course, which cheese would you like? <laughs> I thought I just, I mean, I, I know my accent's not great, but I thought, no, no, no. I want the sliced cheese. She's like, yes, which cheese would you like? And I'm thinking, wow, who do they hire to work in these grocery stores? I mean, my French's not great, but I am definitely saying this right. I'm like, no, 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 you don't understand. I want, I can't find, I'm looking for the sliced cheese. I can't find the sliced cheese. I want the sliced cheese. And she's like, yes. Which sliced cheese? Not which, the, right? We're having this conversation. We're using the same words. We're, we think we're saying the same thing. We are completely missing each other because I don't know what the word means. And she's like, I'm thinking to myself, there's an idiot working here. She, does, like, she doesn't even know what cheeses she has. And I don't know what she's thinking, right? But there was definitely an idiot in that story and it wasn't her. She's so nice to me. She, like, again, she can hear I'm a foreigner, right? She's just like, okay, stop for a moment. Okay, so he says, sliced cheese. She starts going like this, is cheese that's been sliced. And she's nodding and boom, the penny drops. And I'm like, oh, and I start going sliced. And the two of us are looking at each other across the cheese counter going, sliced, right? Okay, that's what's going on in this story. Moses is writing this around 1600 BC for the Israelites who've come out of Egypt, okay? When they read that Abraham, God says, I'm gonna do this, and Abraham believed him, and verse seven, God says to Abram, I am the Lord who brought you out of the Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land, to take possession of it. 
right? They know exactly what that is because that is a formula in their world and we have scores of examples of it. We have dug up scores and scores of clay tablets that have these words written down on them. I am the Lord of such and such. This is a land grant. This is what kings do to rule their countries because they don't have, you know, they don't have communications. They don't have satellites. They don't have TVs. They, they don't I mean, gosh, they don't have transportation practically. You cannot rule a large area. You need vassals. You need other people to rule. So if you take over an area, you need someone to rule that. And in their world, in, I mean, and this goes from like, we, we have these from 2500 BC down to about 500 BC. They're incredibly common in this world. The king makes a land grant. So, you know, if I am the king of Dunwoody and I have just taken over Peachtree Corners, uh, you know, I, I will say something. Uh, I am the king of Dunwoody and Christopher, I grant unto you the corners of Peachtree. And then Abraham says, Sovereign Lord, how can I know this? And he says back to me, yes, sire, but how will the people of the corners of Peachtree know that I am to rule them, right? And then you take an animal, a couple animals, and you cut them in half. Again, everyone reading this understands this. It's a land grant. This happens over and over and over again in their world. Like they get it. And then, so so Chris takes the animals, cuts them up, separates them, and then I, the king, I come out and I make a speech because I'm the king and I'm granting you this land. And what happens? Abraham cuts up animals. God comes out and make a speech. Everyone's like, yep, yep, got it. What happens next? Chris walks through the animals because in, in this world, the way this ceremony works is I, the king, I make the speech and I make promises. I have conquered this land. I have taken it. This land is mine. I grant you. Christopher, I grant you the corners of Peachtree. Da, da, da. He doesn't say anything back. He doesn't swear anything back. He walks through the animals. It's a symbolic act of him proclaiming his loyalty to me as his Lord. He is my vassal. He will rule the corners of Peachtree in my stead. And you walk through the animals because it's the threat. If I am not loyal to you, O king, may I be torn apart like these animals. He, He doesn't say out loud. He doesn't pledge loyalty. He does it physically. He walks between the animals. He's accepting what I, the land that I have granted to him. He's swearing loyalty and fidelity to me. He passes through the animals, saying symbolically, may I be ripped in half like these animals were if I fail you, O king. And then God shows up in verse 17, and what happens? God walks through the animals. Not Abram. Abram is supposed to swear loyalty to God. Yes, I will do this. And he is supposed to walk through the animals as a symbolic act. And God walks through the animals. That means if Abram fails, if Abram doesn't keep his side of the bargain, who will pay? God. Can you imagine? You're you're buying a house, so you go to the bank. And there's the contracts, and there's all the forms, and there's the check, and it's all set out. And what's going to happen? 
The bank's going to sign their side, and you're going to sign their side. And what does the contract say? They're giving you this money. You will pay it back. You'll pay it back in this installments. This is how it will work. What happens if you don't pay? They take your house. That's what you sign. You sign that the bank can have the house. It's their house if you don't pay it back. Can you imagine going to a closing on a house? There's the contract. There's the paper. There's the check. Only it's not your address at the end. It's your address at the top. You get the house. But in the end, under collateral, it's the banker's house. And he signs it, and he hands you the check. And if you don't pay, then he loses his house. That's what he signed. That's what God does. Can you imagine what people reading this must have thought? Folks, I don't think I'm giving anything away that Abraham and his descendants, they don't keep their side of the bargain. They are not loyal to God. They do not rule the land the way they're supposed to. In the end, they'll be exiled for a period of time because of it. They do not keep their side of the bargain. Who gets torn in half? We're headed to Easter. We will have a good Friday service in which we will celebrate that God paid this debt. That Abraham's descendants, and scripture says that includes us. That includes everyone who does what Abraham did. Abraham believed God. And scripture says everyone who believes God is Abraham's spiritual descendants. And we do not keep our end of the bargain. And God himself as a man will be torn in half. And you see, it starts right here. And the very next story, chapter 16. I mean, you've just had this incredible, just incredible instance between God and Abram, where God makes Abram these incredible promises and requires nothing of him. And the very next story you get is that Abram is like, and Sarah, yeah, they're not gonna wait anymore. Like, yeah, I mean, he believed God. It's been a decade at this point, and Sarah hasn't gotten pregnant. She's like, okay, this isn't working. Let's try something else. And again, at least according to the text, they don't ask God. They don't talk to him like, okay, Lord, do you want us to do it this way instead? Did we miss something? They just go on out and try, okay, fine. We'll, we'll get one of the slave girls, and we'll use her and have kids instead that way. And it's a disaster. It is a total disaster. Abraham's life is just, he has these incredible highs of believing and obeying, and then boom, right afterwards. I mean, he's just up and down and up and down and up and down. And here he's down. And the very next story, chapter 17. Okay, now we have jumped. We jumped about 10 years to get to chapter 16. We've jumped another 12 or 13 years now to get to chapter 17. So read from chapter 17 with me. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am the Lord God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between you and you will be greatly and you will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down and God said to him, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants. After you for all generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give to you as an everlasting possession to you and to your descendants after you. And I will be their God. 
Then God said to Abraham, as for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you, for the generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant that you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision, and it will be a sign of the covenant between me and you. For the generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised, including those born in your household or bought with money from a foreigner, those who are not your offspring. Whether born in your house or bought with your money, they must be circumcised. My covenant in your flesh is to be an everlasting covenant. And then if you flip on over to the end, verse 23, on that day, Abram took his son Ishmael and all those born in his household or bought with his money, every male in his household and circumcised them as God had told him. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised. His son Ishmael was 13. Abram and his son Ishmael were both circumcised on that very day. And every male in Abraham's household, including those born in his household or bought from a foreigner, was circumcised with him. Now again, sliced cheese, right? We look at that and you're like, what? <laughs> Seriously, this is a good thing? <laughs> it's like you've gotta be circumcised? I mean, that's, that's crazy, right? Again, when you come to something in scripture and you think that's nuts, maybe it's like me and the lady at the counter, right? Maybe, yeah, there's an idiot in this conversation. It's probably not the Bible, Oh, maybe there's something going on here that you don't understand, right? Circumcision in this world, again, 2000 BC, it's incredibly common. It happens all the time. The Hittites who live north of Abraham practice circumcision. The Egyptians who live south of him practice circumcision. Everyone knew what circumcision was and everyone knew what it signified because circumcision was a rite of passage. You got circumcised after you had proved yourself. So among the Hittites, for instance, all the guys, like when you're 15 or 16 years old, all the guys who were born that year, they would be taken out into the desert and they would be taught the secrets of their clans, the secret handshake and all that other good stuff. They would learn, they would things, they would have tests, they would be instructed and tested and the last thing that would happen to them is they would be circumcised because now they were men. They weren't boys anymore. They were men. This still goes on. I have friends in West Africa. The exact same thing happened to them. When they were 15, everybody who was born that year, who was 15 this year, they got taken out into the forest. And they spent a couple of weeks with their, their dads and their elders, and they learned all this stuff about their clan and their tribe and, and all these things. And the last thing that happened to them is they were circumcised because now they were men. In Egypt, priests are circumcised. It's hereditary, but when a boy is, I think it's about 17 or 18 years old, and now he's going to become a priest again. Now he's instructed. He learns the secrets. He's taught everything he needs to know to be a priest. He gets his clothing and everything else. And the last thing that will happen to him is he's circumcised because now he's a man. Now he's a priest. Now he can take his place among the people because he's earned it. He's gone through everything. He's done everything he was supposed to do. He's faced all the trials. He's taken all the tests in their world, especially for people who've lived in Egypt for the last 400 years. Circumcision is what you get in the end after you've done everything, after you've succeeded. And God comes to Abraham and says, hey, this is my covenant. You're going to be circumcised. And everybody reading it, it's like, yeah, of course. I mean, that makes sense, right? So what are the tests going to be? 
What are the trials? What do you have to do? How do you prove yourself? What's going to happen that, that now you're going to be circumcised? Yes, you're going to be circumcised, all of you. Eight days old, you're going to be circumcised. Now, is there a better definition of you have accomplished nothing in life than an eight-day-old infant? You do nothing. Circumcision is a reward in their world. It's a proof. It was illegal at times in Egypt to be circumcised if you weren't a priest because you're trying to pass yourself off as having done something you don't know how to do and you haven't, you haven't gone through the tests and you haven't gone through the trials and you can't do that. Like you could go to jail if you were circumcised and you weren't a priest. You had to earn it. And God shows up to Abraham and says, everyone is to be circumcised. You, Abraham, you're to be circumcised. Your kids are to be circumcised. Your servants are to be circumcised. Your slaves are to be circumcised. I don't care whether they're your, you bought them or they're your offspring. I don't care whether they're native born or foreigners, young or old, slave or free, it doesn't matter. Everyone is circumcised. And again, can you imagine reading this? It's like, what? Everybody gets that? They don't have to do anything? Everyone gets the rewards? Everyone gets the sign? You get the sign, in their case, in Egypt, that, that you're a priest. That you, you, get, you get the sign that you've gone through all this stuff and done all these things, and you've done nothing? You get it as an eight-day-old? Again, that's crazy that God is just coming to people and saying, we're going to do this. I'm going to do this, and you're going to receive it. Do you see what God is doing with Abraham, how he takes, takes things that everybody understood and made perfect sense and just turns them upside down. Of course, it's a land grant. Now you will pledge loyalty. No, you won't. I will pledge loyalty. Oh, it's, it's circumcision. You're, you're renewing the land grant, and you're, so now we're going we're gonna to have to do something to prove ourselves. No. No, I'm just, I'm just granting this to you. I'm just giving it to you. And these will echo, and the Bible has a story. These will echo over and over and over again until you get guys like Paul, again, 2,000 years later, apoplectic jumping down, telling people, no, it's not what you do. It's never been what you do. It wasn't what you did in 2000 BC. It's not what you do now. You are not loved by God because you're good. You're not. You're not saved by God because you're good. You're not. God's been saying that for thousands and thousands of years. Flip over in your Bible one more. Verse 22, uh, chapter 22. Because Abram, he, again, you've got this high point of circumcision. If you, if you look at uh, chapter 20, he crashes again. Crashes, but doesn't trust God, doesn't think God will take care of him, tries to take things into his own hands. And now we get to 22, which really is the, the high point in this whole story. Sometime later, God tested Abram. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah and sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Early the next morning, Abram got up, loaded his donkey, and took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. 
When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God told him about. On the third day, Abram looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servant, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We'll worship and then we'll come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them were going on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abram, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took a knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies, and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed, because you have obeyed me. Then Abraham returned to his servants, and they set off together for Beersheba, and Abraham stayed in Beersheba. Now, wow, this is one of those stories. Um, I told you, Abraham's life is like this, right? But he gets there. Like there's story after story after story of him not trusting God. But wow, does he get there in the end. And again, this is one of those things where like for us, you know, God asking you to sacrifice your son, that, again, that was normal in this world. That's what God's did. They expected you to give the things you loved and give you best. I'm sure when Abraham heard that, he was not terribly surprised. And he does it. Now, one thing every commentator, and I'm talking from the, the, the Jewish commentators in the 600 BC until now note, is that right before that in verse 34, it says Abraham <clears throat> stayed in the land of the Philistines for a long time, and some time later God tested. Like, there's a huge gap of time here. We've had jumps of between 10 and 15 years between chapters, or what the chapter headings we put in, between the stories that Moses wrote. And all the commentators will tell you, like Moses is signaling, oh, this is a much longer jump. We're talking 20 or 25 years here. Isaac is a 20 to 25-year-old guy, and Abraham's 120 to 125. And again, what everyone notes about this story is 120-year-old men don't tie up 20-year-old men. It doesn't happen, right? There's no tranquilizers done. Isaac, look over there, right? And it's like... There's no way Abraham binds him and he'd have to climb up there himself before his dad tied him up. At some point in this story, Abraham has to say to his son, trust me. Like, dad, this is crazy. (laughs) Trust me, this is the way it has to be. And it doesn't happen. Someone else dies in Isaac's place. He doesn't die. But you have, you have a father and a son on Mount Moriah where somehow, and again, we are not privy to the conversation. Somehow the father has said to the son, 
It has to be this way. And the son has said, okay, do it. The word Moriah appears one other time in scripture. It's in the book of Chronicles when there's a plague. And David stops the plague by offering a sacrifice on Mount Moriah. And because he offers a sacrifice there, he decides that's where he'll build God's temple. And his son Solomon does. Mount Moriah is the temple mount where 2,000 years later, a father is going to say to a son, this is the only way that they can be saved. And the son is going to say back to the father, do it. And there's not going to be a sacrifice. And there's not going to be a ram caught in the thicket. And it's not going to end the way this story ended. There's an old song by a guy named Michael Card. It says, what Abraham was called to do, God has done. Even here, 2,000 years earlier, God is telling us what's got to happen. How this story, this, this arc of redemption has to play out. And folks, I hope you have heard enough about Abraham to realize that his story is our story. That he is like this on trusting God. He has these incredible high moments of trusting God. And then he crashes and burns. And he has incredible moments of trusting God. And then he crashes and burns. And God never does this. God just does this. God just comes to him and bless. I will bless you. I will do this. I will walk through the animals. I, if you mess up, I will pay the price. You receive the good thing. You receive circumcision. You don't have to do anything. You just get it. It's imputed to you is the theological term. It's just given. This is our story as well. Abraham is not saved because he's good. God doesn't come to Abraham and say, wow, that's a really impressive life. I mean, he is an impressive guy, but he's got lots and lots of mistakes. Abraham's story is our story. God doesn't love him because he's good, and God doesn't bless him because he obeys. Lots of times he doesn't. God blesses him because God is good. God blesses him because God is faithful. I want you to imagine living the next week like that. Live the next week saying to yourself, I am loved and blessed by God. Not because of me, but because of him. Not because I am faithful, but because he is faithful. I am not treated as my sins deserve. Not because of me, because of him. Imagine going through the next week, remembering the story of Abraham, that Abraham, God comes to Abraham, blesses him, and Abraham messes up, and so God blesses him again. And God comes to Abraham and says, trust me, and Abraham doesn't trust him, and God comes to him and blesses him again, over and over and over again. You are not loved because you're good. And when bad things happen, it is not because God hates you. You're not, you don't have to prove anything to God, folks. He knows, he's God, <laughs> he knows. You're not proving how great you are to God. I mean, maybe we're trying to prove it to each other, but the Lord knows. You are not blessed and loved because you're good. Be good because you're blessed and loved. Be good because God's going to bless you anyway. Whether you are like, you know, you're Abraham in chapter 22 and you are showing incredible faith or you're Abraham in 
chapter 20 or chapter 16 or chapter second half of chapter 15 or all the times he does not show faith at all. He is still blessed and loved by God. Imagine going through the week, just saying that to yourself. I am loved and blessed by God. Whatever happens, because as we saw last week in chapter three, the world's a mess. And that mess is going to fall on you. Whether you like it or not, that mess is going to come down on you at times. It's not that God doesn't love you. It is not that you have messed up. It is not that you are being punished. You are loved and blessed by God. Imagine that. And now, take it another step further. Everyone you see in this room and everyone you meet out here anywhere, they are not loved because they are good. You're not treated the way your sins deserve. So don't treat other people the way their sins deserve. Imagine living this week reminding yourself, I have not received what I deserve. I have not been treated. God has not treated me according to my sins, so I will not treat you according to your sins. Are other people sinners? Oh, of course, all of us. Do we give each other terrible reasons? Yes, of course. Is the world incredibly messed up? Yes. Are you going to meet people? Are things going to happen to you all week that you're going to want to treat people as they deserve? Yes. Don't do it. Because that's not the way you've been treated. You have been loved and you have been blessed because he is faithful. And you can rest in that all week. Whatever happens, you can rest in that all week. And you can treat other people that way. Because you have been treated that way. And even if you don't, he will keep treating you that way. Even when you fail miserably, even when you're terrible, he will continue to love you and continue to bless you because that is who he is. That is what he's like. He walks through the animals. He knows full well we will not keep our end of the bargain. But he takes it on himself. He gives us the blessings when we have not earned them. You can live confident this week that you are loved, you are blessed, that God, whatever happens and stuff will. I'm not saying the week's going to go well. I'm saying internally, you know if you are a follower of Christ that you are loved and blessed. And you can treat everyone that way. You can treat everyone the way you have been treated because it's not about them. It's not about whether they deserve it. They don't. You don't deserve it and they don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. None of us deserve it because him. You've heard me say this before. You'll hear me say this as long as I stand up here. We are not good to get God to love us. God loves us, so we're good. We don't have to obey, but we get to. So I'm gonna pray for us. I'm going to pray for God's spirit to speak to us. I am sure there are ways this week when you need to remember that. You need to remember Abraham's story. You need to remember that it is God that initiates this, that it is God who does this, that it is God who holds himself accountable, that you get the check for the house, and if you don't pay, the banker loses it. The banker loses his house. You will never lose yours. That is the way God has set up the system. You will never lose his love. You will never lose his acceptance. You will never lose his blessing. He pays when you are disloyal. 
Now, I'm going to pray for that, to work into our souls, that, that we spend the week in confidence because we know that, and wow, we treat all the people around us well because we know that. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. I mean, thank you. You, 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 you knew. <laughs> when you went through the fire, when you went as a fire pit through the animals, you knew what you were obligating yourself to. You knew what would happen. When you gave Abraham circumcision, when, when, when he got the sign of having achieved without having done anything, like you knew who would pay for that. When Abraham didn't have to sacrifice his son, you knew who would. Thank you. We're so grateful, Lord. We're so, so grateful. I pray for my brothers and sisters. I pray for us this morning. Lord, help us. We forget. I'm going to walk out of here. I preached it, and I'm going to walk out of here and forget it. I've been studying this for a week. We're going to forget, Lord Jesus. You know that. We're going to walk out of here. Something is going to happen to us, and there's some little voice that's going to tell us, oh, God's mad at you. You messed it up now. Someone's going to treat us badly, and wow, we are going to want to turn and do them harm. Oh, Jesus, Holy Spirit, please remind us. Let us live this week with the confidence that, that, that you are the same God who treated Abraham well after his repeated failures. You are the same God. Please, Lord, help us to remember this week that, that this is about you and your faithfulness. It is not about us and our faithfulness. We're not. We don't have to kid ourselves and pretend like it. We are not faithful. Jesus, help us. Remind us. Bring these stories back to our minds this week. When other people treat us poorly, remind us that you have not treated us as we deserve. And so we don't have to treat them. It's not them, it's you. When good things happen, remind us, this is not because we're so clever and so smart, it's because of you. When bad things happen, remind us, it's not, it's not because you're angry, you've stopped loving us. The world is fallen. Jesus, please, we need to remember this. We need to remember this day after day after day, and we forget. Remember how fickle we are. You're human. You know how hard this is. Help us, Lord. Help us to remember how you have treated us, what you are like, that we go through the week in confidence, and that we treat others the same way you have treated us. We pray this in your name, Jesus, always. Amen.